Welcome to the Life Community Church Podcast. We are so excited and thankful you've decided to join us. We have a very special message for you today that we pray blesses you. So this week, uh, last week we announced new members and uh, we announced Daniel Deball. And Daniel wasn't here because Nikki took his car keys. And uh, she trapped him at the house. So Daniel is here today. Welcome, Daniel. You persevered. And uh, good. Did everybody get spring break out of your system? And uh, winter is like, has, wants to have this last uh, gasp of winter, we hope. It's going to be great. Hopefully, I think to, tomorrow is the first day of spring. So. Uh, I'm starting a new series about foundations. So we want to talk about, you know, I, you remember a couple of weeks ago I said I asked you to pray for me because we're going to talk about some of the cultural stuff that's going on and we want to talk about how that's uh, affecting us, how we should deal with it. And as we move that direction, uh, I feel like we need to establish some things about the Word of God because basically, really, if we don't believe the Word of God is truth, then what's the basis of not just agreeing with the world? So we're going to be talking the next couple of weeks about the foundation that we have, how we got our Bible. You know, I mean, it didn't just fall out of the sky. You know, and how, how did we get our Bible? How was how it was assembled? You know, through the thousands of years. Uh, can, can we can we trust it? You know, can we? Tr- is the Bible authoritative? Is it? Can we trust the Bible? So we're going to be talking about some of those things in the next couple of weeks. And so today I want to start that. I want to talk, as we begin to talk about that, I want to talk about the, the strangest story in the Bible. Uh, we're at a time in history, and I'm sure you all recognize, recognize this, I think social media has amplified it. Uh, social media has created more of a monster than was, but the monster was already there. But social media has uh, exacerbated it. And so it has become to where just because people believe something or they feel it, it's truth. Especially today, if I feel something or if I, if I feel it, what I feel must be unquestionably the truth. You can't question my feelings. I mean, if I feel it, so that creates problems. I think it's one of the reasons why we have a lot of we have road rage at, at a greater we have a, because people are just offended that you got in their space on the road. I mean, they're they're I mean they're shooting at each other because you know somebody got too close or cut them off when you know which we all end up making mistakes when we're driving. I ran a red light just this weekend, <laughs> just went right through it. I didn't even know I did. My kids were following in a car nearby, and they said, Dad, you just drove through a red light. Uh, so, you know, hopefully we can continue to accept that red lights you're supposed to stop at, but, uh, but, but we're, we're just dealing with this reality in our world about truth. How do we deal with it? In Judges chapter 17, uh, Israel had been delivered from Egypt they had seen by Moses, they had seen the conquest of the promised land under Joshua. 
Then Joshua died, and there was this 300-year period of the judges, which was not a great period of time. They would, they would fall away from God, and God would then allow them to, to be oppressed. They would repent and return to God. And there were, they just for 300 years, they were in this cycle with different judges. You know, you, you hear about, you know, Samson is one of those, and, and Gideon is one of those, those times. And so they're in, in, they get in trouble, and they cry out to God, and God rescues them. And then as soon as they get out of trouble, they go right back into what they were doing. So Judges is kind of a story about what's going on that way. And Judges tells us the story about before they have the king. David, Saul is going to be the first king. David is going to be the chosen king. Uh, And as they're in that process, we have some stories at the end of the book of Judges that are just about the craziest stories you'll ever read in the Bible. You ever read the Bible and think, wow, this is one of those stories. Judges chapter 17, verse 6. In those days... There was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Then it repeats that verse in verse chapter 21, verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Then in 2 Timothy, Paul almost says the same thing, but he says it in Paulese. Uh, This is the amplified version, so it's in a little wordier. For the time is coming... When people will not tolerate, endure, sound, and wholesome instruction, but having ears itching for something pleasing and gratifying, they will gather to themselves one teacher after another to a considerable number, chosen to satisfy satisfy their own liking and to foster the errors they hold, and will turn aside from hearing the truth and wander off into myths and man-made fictions. Uh... So Paul says the time is coming. I think I would say the time is here. (laughs) Right? Now, the unspoken part of the American dream, we have these tremendous freedoms. And we have, you know, in New York Harbor, we have the Statue of Liberty. We should have built another one in California called the Statue of Responsibility. (laughs) So we have the Statue of Liberty where we have all these freedoms. So freedom, if it's, not, if it's not restrained in some way, freedom has to be restrained. People, if it's not, then people will do what they want to do with whoever they want to do it, whenever they want to do it, as long as nobody gets hurt. And that has become kind of the mantra in America. I, want, I should get to do whatever I want to do with whoever I want to do it with, whenever I want to do it, as long as nobody gets hurt. What's right for me is right for me, and what's right for you is right for you. Just leave me alone, mind your own business, to do what I want to do, and I'll leave you alone to do what you want to do as long as what you want to do doesn't interfere with what I want to do. Right? I mean, so that, so that's that's that almost falls into the category if, when you think about it, where everybody is doing what's right in their own eyes. So we have the great story in Judges where it, it exemplifies this. In Judges chapter nineteen, twenty, and twenty-one, where it tells this story, there's this there's this Levite from Ephraim, 
the hill country of Ephraim. And he takes a concubine from Bethlehem. So a concubine was a concession to the culture. You can see from the Old Testament that, uh, that Abraham had, had taken Hagar, his wife's handmaiden, and she had become, in a sense, a concubine, a mistress to him. We see that many of the kings of Israel had lots of wives. David had eight or nine wives, and he also had some concubines. And then Solomon had hundreds of wives and hundreds of concubines. But Jesus clarified that God's design, God's desire for marriage is a man and a woman. That's the, that's the plan. Uh, so they had this, this cultural, this was part of the culture, and they had acquiesced to the culture. And a concubine would be like a secondary, if a man had a concubine, uh, and it's, you know, this has even been popularized today with what, what's, what's this show on television? I've never watched it, but it's, it's about this polygamous relationship. Sister wives, that's it. So it's, ba- it's that, that, that cultural reality. Uh, the concubine was always secondary to the wife. So if they had children, the children were considered the children of the wife. Uh, it was often not so much, it wasn't a sexual relationship. It was a procreation. It was about ensuring children. Uh, at this time, it was, it's considered that probably about 50% of all children did not reach maturity. So uh, it was one of the ways to ensure, uh, you know, offspring. But so this man goes and takes a concubine as a wife or secondary wife. And he takes her from Bethlehem. And one day uh, she runs away and goes back to Bethlehem. So after time passes, he decides to go back to Bethlehem and get his wife, try to talk her into coming back. So he's going to go and the Bible says he's going to talk softly to her. He's going to try to convince her to come back. So he goes and her father, his father-in-law, is happy to see him. And so for several days he stays. For three days he stays there with the house. And there it says they're eating and drinking and making merry. So they're eating and getting drunk. On the fourth day, he gets up and he's ready to go back to Ephraim, the hill country of Ephraim. And the father-in-law says to him, don't, don't go yet. Don't go yet. Have you, ever, have you ever visited with somebody and they never want to let you leave? Don't, don't go yet. Don't go yet. Stay. stay. Uh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll eat some more. I, I'll, uh, you know, let's make some barbecue. You know, just hang around a little longer. We'll, you know, we'll... And you just, they, they just want you to stay. And so he stayed with his father-in-law, and they ate and drank until evening. So that day is gone. The next day, they got up early. They're going to make, take out early because they've got a long journey. They're going to walk. And the father-in-law says, wait until the afternoon. And so they eat and drink until the afternoon. And in the afternoon, they finally start on their journey. It's late in the day. Uh, and by nightfall, they... As the sun begins to go down, they know they need to get off of the road, and they're, they're near Jerusalem. Well, it wasn't called Jerusalem then. It was called Jabus, and it was not yet a territory of Israel. It didn't belong to Israel yet. It didn't become a territory of Israel until David was king, and David ca- conquered the Jebusites. So it's still, in a sense, in enemy territory. And so they said, hey, can we stop here? And, and, and 
the Levite says, no, we can't stop here. We're going to go on until we get into one of the cities of the Israelites. So they go a little bit further and they get to Gibeah. Gibeah is in the, is in the territory of the tribe of Benjamin. And so they get to Gibeah and they get into the town square and there were no, there were no motels, hotels, inns in these small towns. It was generally what would happen is you would go into the town square and someone would offer you accommodation just out of hospitality. Maybe, they, maybe there would be a relative in the area or an uncle or a friend or someone that you'd have contact with. But they get into the town square of, of, of uh, Gibeah and nobody offers them a place to stay. And they're waiting there. And finally an old man, it, the Bible calls him an old man. The only reason I know he was an old man because that's what the Bible says. It says an old man is coming in from the field late in the day and he sees them in the square and he says, what are you doing here? They said, well, we're looking for a place to stay, but nobody has, hint, hint, has, uh, <laughs> nobody has invited us into their house to stay. He said, where, well, where are you from? Where are you going? He said, well, we're from, I'm from the hill country of Ephraim and we've, I've been in Bethlehem and we're going from Bethlehem back to my home in the hill country of Ephraim. And the old man says, I'm from Ephraim too. So he invites them into his home. So they're in the home and while they're in the home at nightfall, some, some uh, worthless men, the Bible calls them, some worthless men come and knock on the door bang on the door and say, send out the man that we can have sex with him. And the, the guy, the old man says, I can't do that. I can't allow you to violate my guests. The, the, the laws of hospitality, the rules of hospitality, he says, I, I can't let that happen. And so, most of the commentators that I read were saying this was not a sexual when you read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, it's kind of similar, uh, but the so story of Sodom and Gomorrah is more of a, is a sexual connotation. This is not a, so much a sexual connotation, but a, uh, it's to send the message to humiliate the guest, to say, hey, we don't like strangers in Gibeah. Don't come here. You're not welcome here. Maybe you've experienced it. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever, you know, Texas is generally a friendly place, but I've been in some places where you go into a small town, maybe you, maybe you go to the town square, and there's an old cafe in the town square, and you walk in that cafe to maybe have breakfast in that town square, and uh, all the people look at you like, they don't say it, but you feel like they're thinking, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. They talk like that too. <laughs> you feel like you don't belong and they try to make you feel like you don't belong because you're not welcome. I've actually have been in some churches that were that way. Have you? Where you walked in, it's like nobody talked to you. They kind of looked at you like, or maybe somebody, I've had this, thankfully, I don't think this has happened here. If it has, I'm really, really sorry. It shouldn't have happened. But I've heard this story over and over again where someone would walk into a church and sit down and someone would come in later and say, you're in my seat. You're in, you're in my seat. Get out of, move it, stranger. 
So, you know, people can be inhospitable, and these people are being inhospitable. And uh, he says, I can't do that. I can't do that. But listen to his response. He said, here, take my daughter and this man's concubine and do as you please. Now, that's taking the laws of hospitality too far, right? And, and they said, no, we don't want to do that. But the Levite took his concubine and just threw her out of the door to the men. No wonder she ran away, you know. He didn't seem to be a very caring man. Uh, they raped and abused her all night long. In the morning, when the Levite got up to go, the concubine was dead. So he loaded up, loaded her on his donkey, and he took her to his home. And he's so angry, he cut her up into 12 pieces and sent each one of those pieces to one of the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. So that enraged the sons of Israel, and they gathered together in Mizpah, and he tells them the story. And so they've gathered, all of Israel gathers in Mizpah to fight against Benjamin, and they make this oath. We'll never allow any of our daughters to marry a son of Benjamin. And they tell the Benjamites, who have gathered also for war, send out the people who committed this crime. And the Benjamites say, no, no, we're not going to do it. They're ready to go to war over these men who have raped this concubine and killed her. They're ready to go to war and not give up those men. So they go, so all of Israel goes to war against the tribe of Benjamin. All of Israel, they've got hundreds of thousands of soldiers, and Benjamin only has about 28,000 soldiers, and they're a small tribe. They go to war against Benjamin, and the first day, uh, the Benjamites kill 22,000 of Israel. So, second day, the Benjamites kill 18,000 of Israel. Well, on the second day, then they have a prayer meeting. And say, what should we, hey, wait a minute, what should we do? And the Lord tells them to go up, says, you will be victorious. And they go, and the battle turns, and they kill all the Benjamites. And they go throughout the country and kill every man, woman, and child of the tribe of Benjamin. They kill all the Benjamites except for 600 who have escaped. Well, at the end of the day, the Israelites realize, oh, this is bad. <laughs> We've killed off one of the tribes of Israel. We've killed off part of the inheritance of Israel. What are we going to do? We've wiped out one of the tribes. What shall we do? Someone says, I've got an idea. We've found out that 600 have escaped. But we all swore an oath that we couldn't give them their wives, so we don't have wives for them so someone says, so what are we going to do? Well, then they said, well, who didn't go to war with this? Well, the people of Jabesh-Gilead didn't go to war. They said, well, go to Jabesh-Gilead and kill all of those who are not virgins and bring them back to the Benjamites. So they do that. So now they have 400 virgins, but now virgins, now they're 200 short. And so they said, here's what we'll do. 
Behold, there's a feast of the Lord from year to year in Shiloh, which is on the north side of Bethel, on the east side of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem, and on the south side of Lebanon. And they commanded the sons of Benjamin, saying, Go and lie and wait in the vineyards and watch. And behold, if the daughters of Shiloh come out to take part in the dances, then you shall come out of the vineyards, and each of you shall catch his wife. (laughs) Right? It's crazy, right? You shall catch his wife from the daughters of Shiloh and go to, and then take him to the land of Benjamin. And that's how the book of Judges ends. This is the last verse. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There's no good. There's no heroes in this story. There's just people doing one stupid thing after another because it felt like the right thing to do in the moment. Just one stupid thing after the other. They have discarded the word of God. They've discarded the law of God. They, you know, it's good to be hospitable, but it's a little too far to give up your concubine to be hospitable. Everybody in the story is doing what they think what they feel, and what they believe is best in the moment. But the outcome is death and destruction and chaos. This is what happens. This is what we're experiencing. That's why there's so much death, destruction, and chaos, because we're in a a time where everyone is doing what they think and feel and believe is best for them. They're doing what is right in their own eyes. The reality is, there's some of that in all of us. There's some, it's my life. I'll do what I want to do. This is what's right for me. We want the freedom to do what we want, with who we want, when we want as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. We always add that qualifier like that's going to make everything all right. But the reality is only the super rich can afford this because eventually you're going to need an attorney. You're going to get in trouble. You're going to, you're going to drive drunk and kill somebody. You're going to, you're going to get caught with drugs. You're, you're going to get somebody pregnant. You're going to, there's going to be consequences to living like that. If you do what you feel in the moment... In the, in the real world, you can't do that. It's, the, it's only the people who you know, like the super rich who write the songs and make the movies that uh, try to convince us of that. I mean, I would have said, in the past, I would have said you would never, but I'll have to, I have to qualify this. In the real world, you would seldom hear a fifth grade teacher say to her class as they leave on Friday to go home for the weekend. Now, class, remember before we dismiss... The key to happiness is to do what you want, when you want, with whom you want. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. I I would have said that nobody in the past, no fifth grade teacher would have said that. I can't say that now because there's a lot of crazy stuff out there. See you Monday if you live. You never hear a judge or parole officer with any wisdom, say this, because they're, they're the people who see this, the side of the consequences of this occasion. 
of this equation. If you, if, if, you, if you do what you want, when you want, with who you want, then it's going to leave a trail of destruction. It doesn't work. Because in that culture, when we do what we want, with who we want, when we want, it always works out better for men. Just in this situation, it worked out better for the men than it did for the concubine. Right? Women become possessions and profit centers. Children get abandoned and abused every time. There are 400,000 children in the foster system in the United States. They are mostly there because they have been abused sexually or physically. They have been neglected. They have been abandoned either willfully or because the parent is incarcerated by their parents or their guardians. So there has been no one to care for them and protect them. And so the system has tried to step in. I had a friend who was called into ministry and he went to work. He wanted to make a difference And so he went to work for Child Protective Services. And with Child Protective Services, his job was to try to determine as best as he could, which is a very difficult job, it's a very difficult task, who's going to keep their children and who's going to lose their children. It's a very tough call. And he said, he did it for about a year, and he he said, "I, I I can't take it anymore. He said, I cannot stand going to work and watching parent after parent decide they want drugs more than they want their children. That they make the choice to use drugs instead of taking care of their children. That's what happens when people do what they want with who they want, when they want, without consequence. Every right that women have they've had to fight for I'm not getting many amens from this part I would think that at least the women would say amen but anyway when men do what is right in their own eyes women suffer I mean even if you you can even go to if we start talking about about uh, child support We've, we've had to enact laws dealing with child support because men don't pay their child support. Even today with the laws that have been enacted with child support, only about 40% of child support gets paid. So even with all the laws that will even put them in prison, not let them get driver's license, all kinds of things, it's not just men, it's women too that won't pay their child support. And the only way to try to mediate that is to try to create laws to do it. If, you're, if, if you've got children, you need to take care of them. That's what God would want you to do. You cannot do what is right without hurting someone because first, eventually, if you, if you do what is right in your own eyes, you do what you feel with who you want, when you want, then you will eventually hurt someone and eventually that someone you will hurt is yourself. And if you hurt yourself, you hurt the people that are connected to you. Do you realize that? You can't hurt yourself and not hurt anybody. I mean, if you're a teenager and you do what you want, when you want, with who you want, 
then you will eventually not only hurt yourself, but you'll hurt your parents and your grandparents and those people that are associated with you. You will hurt someone. It won't just be you. You'll hurt other people by your actions. If you're a parent, you cannot hurt you without hurting someone. If you're a parent and you do what you want, when you want, with who you want, and you go off and leave your kids, you're going to hurt your kids tremendously. If you're a child, you cannot hurt you without hurting someone. If you're married... and you decide to do what you want, when you want, with who you want, you're going to end up hurting your spouse. Uh, You're going to hurt someone. And if you have real friends who are real friends who care about you, and you, you do what you want, who you want, when you want, you're going to hurt your friends. You can't do what you want, when you want, with whoever you want, and not hurt anybody. You're going to end up hurting people. And you hurt not only you, but you hurt the people that are coming up after you. You hurt, if you're a parent, you hurt your children. Uh, and you're, some of you, some of you are maybe 40, 50, 60 years old, and you're still dealing with the fact that your parents made bad decisions 40, 50, 60 years ago. They made a selfish decision. And I'm not, I'm not trying to attack those decisions. And, you know, that might be you, and you might, have, you might have made mistakes. Here's the great thing. God redeems mistakes. Isn't it good that God redeems mistakes? I say, hey, there's not a person in here who hadn't done some, a pretty good dose of stupid. Right? And God is gracious, and God is merciful. But our goal is we don't, we don't want to hurt another generation. We do everything we can to build a generation that knows what is right. So how do we do it? Here's the solution. There's the solution. That's the problem. The solution is there has to be some way to get to the truth. In John chapter 18, verse 37, Jesus is before Pilate. And Pilate is examining him before he's going to call for him to be crucified. And Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come to the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. You see, the solution is we need to recognize there's a king. There is a king who has the truth. And the Bible tells us that the correct response to that king, if he is king... And if he's Lord of all, that at the name of Jesus, the correct response is that every knee will bow in heaven and earth and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. See, it's one thing to say he's the king, but to say he's the Lord, he has the right to rule in my life. You see, even Christians are laying aside portions of the Word of God that we feel uncomfortable with, or it's inconvenient for us, or we don't agree with. We need an authority. We need an authority that's greater than ourselves. If your God can't challenge you, and if your God has no authority to tell you something than what you believe, then your God is made in your image. Your God needs to be able to say, hey, you can't do that. And you go, ooh, ooh, but I really want to do that. But you surrender and yield 
to the, his authority. See, Jesus is truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I am the way and the truth. We've been talk, we talked for several weeks about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convince us how much God loves us and what Jesus did to, so that we could receive that love. He's to take the love of the Father and convey it to us. And he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he's going to lead you into truth. So we need the word of God. We need the spirit of God. And we need to recognize over our lives the authority of God to tell us the truth. Because if we don't have that authority, we'll do what is right in our own eyes. And you can see it's a trail of death and destruction. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about the next couple of weeks. How do we do that? How do we yield to Christ and let him be the authority in our lives? You can start that today. If you haven't yielded your life to Christ, if you haven't said yes to, Je yes to Jesus, today's a great day to do that and say, you know what? I do need the Lord. I need somebody be better than me and bigger than me that's able to tell me what's right. Because you may recognize you're not a very good judge of it. But he wants to save us and help us, and he wants to come in and lead us into the truth. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one, no one can come to the Father except through Jesus. That's a hard truth, but that's the truth. Amen. Stand with me. Father, in Jesus' name, we're living in a world of lies and deception that's being pushed on us from every corner imaginable. Thousands of messages a day, thousands of times a day, on our phones, on our televisions, in our cars, on the radio, in our music, this deceptive message, the lies of a world system are bombarding us, and it is so incremental that it's easy to not recognize that it's moving our minds to believe a lie. Lord, help us to know the truth, because it's only the truth Truly, only the truth can set us free. But yet, as, as Lord and Savior, as King of kings and Lord of lords, you have a right to correct us. You have a right to show us error. You have a right to declare truth to us because we don't want a God in our image. We need the great God, the God of truth and righteousness and holiness. Lord, help us. Help us as your people, to know the truth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll be here at the front praying. If you need prayer about anything, you need to pray about anything in your life, we'll be here to pray with you. I love you. Lord bless you. This has been the Life Community Church Podcast. Thank you for listening.